This is Trep Wire with a special guest podcast. I'm Martha Kocher with Trep, a data modeling and analytics firm for the CMBS commercial real estate and CLO markets. I'm with Manis Clancy, Senior Managing Director, and joining us today is Michael Mandel, co-founder and CEO of Comstack, a nationwide provider of crowdsourced commercial real estate lease and sales comp data. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. That's great. Um, I know uh, we've talked about Comstack on several of these podcasts with research that we've done. Give us an overview of your background for those that may not know about you and Comstack. Sure. Well, before starting Comstack, I was a commercial real estate broker and uh, I did office leasing transactions and data center transactions uh, based in New York City. But I, the data center deals were actually you know, kind of throughout the country and started Comstack out of my experience as a commercial real estate broker. Uh, because I was sharing comp data, in particular uh, lease comps with other brokers all the time over the phone and via email and at our weekly Monday morning meeting and um, thought that the, the process for sharing this information was rather antiquated and, and we could do better. And so created a platform where commercial real estate brokers, appraisers, and research people in real estate brokerage firms could share data. Uh, earn credits for sharing that data, which is like a virtual currency, and use those credits to get other data back out. And uh, at the start, it was just lease comps. We, we've grown from there, but uh, we've built a comprehensive database. And, and then we, we sell access to that database to commercial real estate investors and lenders, amongst others. We have, over the course of the probably the last few months, talked about some specific pieces uh, that our data team and your data team have put together that really dove into the performance of a couple sectors like retail and office. Give us a high level overview of how the Compstack data adds value to the TREP data overall so that practitioners actually get a more holistic picture. Absolutely, sure. Well, you know, I think the way to think about Compstack data is really around the granularity of the data, right? So we're best known for our lease comp data, which is very granular information on individual leases within properties. So who the tenant name is, what the tenant name is, what the rent is that they're paying, the rent step ups over time, the concessions the landlord gave, like free rent, TI, et cetera. And so um, when you're looking at you know, securitized loans in, in TREP and you're trying to understand the underlying assets, we're providing a level of detail around all the tenancy and the underlying assets and the income of those, those properties, uh, the lease expirations, all this kind of context that can help you better evaluate risk. So, you know, in those papers that we worked on with TREP, we looked at things like, you know, what percentage of the leases are rolling in these buildings that are securitized and how does that impact their risk if tenants don't renew, right? Um, or how do the rents in the market compare to the underlying rents in these buildings? And are, are tenants under market or above market, things like that. So what it, what it comes down to really is where our, is the intersection between understanding the securities and then understanding this very granular property data underlying it to make better decisions on those securities. So Michael, tell us, you know, when you started this business, you started it, you know, kind of, um, you know, from, from the bottom up, right, as, as a startup operation, how hard was it to get um, some of these big names to uh, take part in this, you know, crowdsourcing initiative? Well, you know, initially it was just individual brokers, appraisers, and research people trading data. So I was calling up, you know, everybody I knew in the New York City market, because we started in New York, 
And I called up all the brokers that I knew and I just said, hey, can you, you try this thing out? Send me some comps, check it out, find value. If you find value, you know, take some comps out, send some more comps. And I was just calling and emailing people constantly. I would go through my list and go from one to the next to the next to just, you know, manually kind of hand crank the machine to get people to share data. And then once there were people sharing data, then it was a function of, okay, who's who will find value in buying this data? And how do we get in front of them? And, you know, was able to work my network a bit to get in front of some major owners, um, particularly in New York. And actually our first client was um, Bornado and our second client was Tishman's Buyer. And they're both still, you know, clients of ours today. We had barely had a product when we sold to those guys. But um, what we found was that, you know, we had great data and the data spoke for itself. That's terrific. You do have a, a very impressive uh, client roster at this point on your website. So it seems like you've had terrific penetration over the years. What type of uh, firm is most likely to be not a contributor, but a taker of your data? Is it appraisers? Is it CMBS types trying to you know surveil their portfolios? Is it model builders? You know, where do you see the the application? Well, so appraisers actually, if they're third party appraisers, they can actually be in our exchange and they can trade data. Um, we have appraisers in banks who would who would be on a you know subscription basis. But um, the two major use groups, you know, for Comstack are um, I would say underwriting and asset management. And for underwriting, you know, we're talking like you know, analysts at, you know, in acquisitions groups that are using our data to project income when acquiring a property, but also analysts um, in banks who are, you know, lending on those assets and doing the same kind of, um, you know, cash flow modeling, right? And using our data in the assumptions around space that is vacant or the space that will be vacant to, to understand kind of how that will impact the, the very basic kind of, you know, NOI divided by cap rate equals price. Um, and, you know, on the asset management side, it's, it's about, you know, owners and lenders benchmarking the performance of assets against the market, right? Are they outperforming or underperforming the market and their peers and the competitive set for those properties and using our data to, to really understand that and to do budgeting and, and, and projecting based off of that. And then we've got lots of other use cases for our data as well, but I'm happy to get into it. But I would say those are the major ones. So the pandemic obviously has enormously slowed down the velocity of transactions, whether it's sales transactions, uh, seemingly leasing transactions as well. Um, many parts of the market outside of uh, industrial probably or fall into that category. Um, tell me what that has meant for your business. Is it making your data more valuable or is it making harder for you, making it harder for you to um, find data to kind of churn the machine? Well, um, I would say somewhat both. It's certainly making our data more valuable because of the granularity of our data, right? So we're known for having these individual, you know, comps for every transaction. And so what that means is you can really dig in and understand those deals. So maybe you don't have enough data in aggregate to, to you know, have enough statistical significance to say, this is what's happening in this market, or this is what's happening for this class of building in this market in deals of this size. I mean, there's just not enough data to say that conclusively. But what you can say is like, you know, 
the Facebook deal at the Farley Post Office in New York, these were the terms of that deal. Oh, and by the way, you can look and see what were the terms pre-COVID and then what were the, how did the terms of the deal change during COVID? And so that level of granularity can be very, very useful as an indicator of how the market is reacting based off of you know, the, the, the economic environment. And so um, the granular data becomes more and more valuable when there are fewer data voids overall to point at a general trend. You wanna dig in and try to make sense of the individual deals, but it does make it harder for us to do um, to, to modeling off of the data more broadly and understand where the market's going more broadly um, because there's just not a lot of volume. I mean, particularly in retail, I, I wouldn't begin to tell you where the where the trends are for retail right now from a rent standpoint. There just haven't been enough deals to even say it. Well, it's interesting that you talk about paying close attention to the deals. Every week, Manus has his uh, one or two deals of the week that we hope to glean some insights based on whether companies are taking more or less space, they're renewing, they're moving, and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, that's definitely one of the things that we've covered because mm -hmm. we see that that's where you can make some uh, determinations about where the market's headed. If we shift uh, a little bit to talk about the CRE tech space, uh, how have you seen the demand change uh, from professionals over the course of the last few years as you've started with a startup organization in New York based primarily and have gone nationwide? Well, I think what, you know, what we found is that when we started the company, you know, we were, we were very much front office, right? So we were, there were individuals who were underwriting deals using data that they got from they, either their brokers who are trying to benchmark against the market themselves and, and use data to, to do leasing transactions or sales transactions, or there were people who were reaching out to their brokers or their appraisers to try to get data to do deals who would use our deals on a, on a you know, individual basis for transactions. Um, we've seen a shift in the market where people are just more interested in data more broadly now. We've, we're actually going much deeper into the back office where we've got research groups that are trying to analyze our data who want data feeds to slice and dice it however they want. We have APIs with our data to um, uncover different insights. We have partnerships with other technology companies like Trek, which have been, has been fantastic. And so I, I find, I, I found that really in the market more broadly, there's just a, a greater interest in making sense of data. Um, also companies are trying to do more with their own data, but using your own data and seeing trends in your own data is it's not that useful unless you have the market to compare it to. And so when they're doing that, we're finding companies who want to get that market context for benchmarking. And so there's been a strong interest in that. Uh, and then, you know, certainly um, we've expanded our, 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 for us personally, at least, we found lots of do, new kinds of um, clients that would, were interested in our data. So we have a, a segment of our business business called Comstack Prospect, where we have people who use our data to find new new customers. Right, um, you know, it could be a cleaning company or a moving company or somebody like that who wants to know who's moving into new space, who's going to need their services. Um, we have hedge funds that are trading on our data, and particularly during COVID, you know, finding value in it because they trade on the instability of the markets, and they're trying to leverage our data to see how public REITs are performing or other public companies are performing, you know, in advance of their earnings, things like that. 
Um, so lots of different interesting use cases that we've come upon. Historically, um, volatility for us, TREP, um, has led to a lot of inbound opportunities for us, right? That data becomes more valuable than ever before. You kind of find people coming out of the woodwork um, looking for things, looking for signs of, you know, what's coming next. Would you say that the um, pandemic has had that effect for you guys? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, certainly a, a good amount of inbound, as I mentioned, particularly, you know, hedge funds have been a strong area for us uh, during the pandemic. Um, also, you know, distressed real estate funds ha have have reached out. You know, which this is when they uh, when they really shine, obviously, and looking looking for opportunities. And a lot more, you know, very early on in the pandemic in particular, the research groups from all of our clients were reaching out to us because they were being asked by their firms, you know, tell us where you think this is going. And so they wanted to look at our historic data from the last downturn and try to get a sense of, you know, how the market might rebound uh, based off of, um, you know, historical recessions and leveraging the data in that way. So there's certainly been a good amount of interesting new use cases from it. Let me talk about Facebook for a minute because you brought that up before their, their big Penn Station uh, area lease, 700,000 square feet. You made a comment a little while ago about knowing where it was before and after the lease was signed. Can you dig into that a little bit? Will you talk, when you talk about where it was before, is that what the asking rent was? And then later you replace that with where the actual lease was signed. Can you walk us through what uh, some of your clients may have seen? Well, in that particular deal, um, the deal that was negotiated before COVID hit, but it hadn't been signed. And so the deal got renegotiated. And what happened was that when the, when the, the comp was shared with us by our members, they had knowledge of what the original deal was and then what the renegotiated deal was. And so the comp, the, you know, a comp is a record of a moment in time, right? So the comp is what the actual deal terms were. But in the comments of the comp, we have notes saying, and by the way, here's what the terms were before COVID. Now, there's not a lot of those deals on our platform because it's only that subset of deals that were negotiated pre-COVID that still went through um, during COVID. And interestingly, too, something else we saw in our data is that our average transaction size for leases went up in Q2 um, pretty meaningfully. And I think that's a, fact, a function of the fact that small firms that are nimble, who make decisions last minute, they just put their deals on hold, right? But the big firms, they, you know, somebody like Facebook, they may have been working on that deal for a year, two years, right? They're not gonna kill that deal entirely. They'll renegotiate it and they'll still move forward. And so the average transaction size on Comstack went up, I think just as a function of that, um, that these deals just can't be turned off immediately. Um, but um, that was the case in that deal in particular. And, and several other deals where we saw that kind of retrade situation. I'm not sure you're going to feel comfortable sharing this, but can you tell us what the discount was between uh, point A and point B on that Facebook deal? How much of a retrade was there percentage-wise? You, you know, I don't have it in front of me, and I don't know off the top of my head. Um, it wasn't an earth-shattering amount. You know, I would say it was like, a, I think it was a few dollars a square foot on a pretty expensive lease to begin with, and maybe a few more months of free rent. Um, and most, the biggest concession we've seen in, in these you know, uh, COVID deals has been in an increase in free rent. Um, the other really interesting trend that we've seen is a new concession that didn't exist at all, and maybe we wouldn't even call it a concession, um, which is that the spread between 
um, lease execution date and lease commencement date has increased. So the average length of time between execution and commencement was 90 days. And since COVID, it's increased now to 127 days. So what's happening is, you know, basically the landlords want to get these deals done with these deals done with tenants. The tenants, you know, they could do this, do the deal now, they could sign it later or whatever. You know, they don't they don't have anybody in the space or anybody who needs to be in the space. So they agree, you know, the landlord says, you know what, I'll just let you have your start date be later. They don't need the they don't need it to be free rent technically because the tenant doesn't need to occupy the space for free. So, and by virtue of pushing out the commencement date, the landlord doesn't have to have a hit on their net effective rent because the, it doesn't count as a concession. And right. so they just extend the date from, for when the, the lease starts, but maybe, maybe it should be treated as a concession. It's been a meaningful change you know, over this time period. Have you seen lease terms get longer or shorter? Obviously, if you're giving you know, bigger concessions in terms of you know, cost per square footage, it might behoove the landlord to do something shorter. You know, obviously for the tenant, they might be looking to lock in something longer if they can get something cheaper now. Are you seeing any trends there in terms of uh, term change from where it was pre-COVID? I think we've seen lease term reduce a bit, uh, although we haven't dug in. I don't think there's been that, that big of a difference, um, but we have seen a reduction in lease term. And um, we saw that in the last you know, recession as well, um, there was a reduction in lease term and I think it's, you know, I think when, when there's instability in the markets, the, you know, tenants are, don't want to make as long-term commitments because they don't know what the world's going to look like as a general rule. And landlords are smart enough to know that everything will come back up eventually later. And so they're fine to do a shorter term deal as well, because um, they recognize that when, the, when, when those deals are for renewal, they'll probably get a nice bump. Michael, as a former broker and seeing the data that you see, what are your feelings about the office space, which has a lot of speculation in terms of what will happen over the course of the next couple of years? Well, you know, to be honest, my thoughts around office space are more geared towards my experience as a CEO and a tenant of office space than it is as a former broker um, or or running a real estate data company, I would say, you know, when I think about Comstack in particular, look, let me step back for a second and say, I'm a big fan of being in the office. I can't wait to be back in the office. I want, you know, I, I think from a cultural standpoint, I really like having everybody together. But I think the reality is that um, in every survey you see, in every conversation you have with everybody, you know, I think most people want to get back to the office, but people like having the flexibility to work from home. And in some cases, some companies are allowing people to work from home permanently. Some are saying, okay, well, maybe in the future you can work from home one or two days a week or one or two days a month or something like that. Um, and so, you know, I assume that there's going to be more flexibility in people, you know, working from home across the board. But And I also would say, um, you know, everybody's used to doing Zoom calls now or, you know, or Google Meet or whatever the case may be. And if you've got more people working from home, you're going to be Zooming with your colleagues every day, even if you're not Zooming with your customers. I also think that like, I assume that a good percentage of our sales calls that used to be in person are now going to be over Zoom as well. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think that even if we're back in the office entirely, um, 
we're in a completely open floor plan. If everybody's on Zoom calls next to each other, they're just gonna be talking over each other. It's gonna be a disaster. We're gonna need space for everybody to be able to take Zoom calls privately. And so uh, to some extent, I'm, I'm optimistic and bullish from the standpoint that I think that whatever decrease in space there would be from um, people working from home, there may be somewhat of an increase because of a need for private space for Zoom, which I think is gonna be a permanent state of affairs. Um, I don't believe that people are gonna take more space. I never did and I still don't believe that anybody's gonna take more space because of social distancing. Nobody's going back to the office unless they're comfortable being near people. So I don't think the social distancing thing is gonna be the issue. The issue in my opinion is gonna be Zoom. Um, so I don't expect there's gonna be a net increase in space taken by companies, but I'm also, you know, I'm not sure there'll be a decrease either or maybe it'll be a minimal decrease. There were a lot of headlines over the last um, week or two, you know, Deutsche Bank talking about uh, potentially moving half of their bankers out of New York, Goldman Sachs moving its asset management division out of New York. Uh, out West, we saw HP say they were moving to Texas, Tesla moving part of his operations uh, to Texas, Oracle, Oracle um, talking about moving out of Redwood City and, and so forth. Do you think that there's winners and losers out of this is you know, there's that whole expression, it's, it's going to be different this time. Um, do you think it's going to be different this time? Not that we've had a pandemic before, but people will be um, more eager to move to the suburbs, take on a, a hub and spoke model, you know, flee to uh, warmer climates, you know, perhaps areas with less mass transit. Anything in your data or anything in your gut instinct yeah. that tells you that there's something afoot here? Well, my, my instinct is I'm skeptical of the hub and spoke model. I think that, you know, if you, if you want to get everybody together, you want to get them all together in a hub so everybody can be together. And if you're not all going to be together, what's the point of the spoke? You might as well just work from home. So maybe there will be some suburban offices where for people who don't want to work from home to, to, to camp out, but I don't imagine that's going to be a huge driver of demand. At least that's not what I'm seeing, although I know some people are, you know, saying that's the case. I, I think that companies are gonna need centralized locations in the major cities to, because they're, they make the most sense for gathering, right? Um, but um, certainly there's gonna be more people working from home. And I think that, you know, if you're talking about winners, I mean, Austin, Austin has been a big winner. A lot of people moving to Austin. Um, I think also what you're seeing with COVID is that trends that were already happening are expediting, right? You know, um, big box um, you know, department stores were already on the demise and that got expedited. Similarly, like I, you know, we're based in New York, but I am friends with tons of you know, people in San Francisco, founders of other companies in San Francisco. Um, they were, a lot of companies were already going to distributed workforces that were in San Francisco. So you referenced this earlier. We've seen a lot of consolidation and partnerships happen in the CRE tech space, especially over the last several years. Where do you think that industry sector is going and how's it gonna benefit practitioners in the long run? Well, I think the, you know, the partnerships that have been happening and the partnerships we've done obviously with TREP and, and we've done partnerships with Moody's, we have another very big one we're about to announce very soon. Um, and, and with several others, I mean, I, you know, DealPath and um, EDR and, and you name it, we've, we've worked with a lot of different companies and different partnerships. But what I would say is, um, you know, look, it, the, the opportunity with these is to create a win-win for our clients, right? And 
you know, where they're, you can't be best in class in everything. <laughs> and so, you know, in the case of TREP, I mean, there's no doubt everybody knows that TREP is best in class in, in, in CMBS and in loan information and all that. And, and so, you know, it makes sense to partner with the, the, the firm that is best in class in that area and hopefully provide mutual benefit for clients, which makes them stickier and, and makes them happier. Um, and to the extent that you can make those kind of partnerships work, it, it's a win-win. Um, I think, you know, for many companies in the space, we all want to do more. And over time, we may be more competitive with each other as we all get bigger. Um, and that's natural. But in the meantime, we can all agree to, we can agree to work together for the benefit of our companies and for our clients. And so I'm excited to see that happening. So you launched CompStack with a vision. Obviously, you had... Uh a vision around data transparency and how to make that easier for people to find. What's your ultimate goal? What do you envision as uh, where are you taking CompStack and it's a win? Well, you know, we, we aspire to be the leader in commercial real estate data. We, um, and, and, and do that by creating transparency in data. You know, so um, the, I mean, I, we fundamentally believe that transparency and data leads to more fair and efficient deal making, right? That by virtue, that, and that this data becomes table stakes. Everybody's going to expect to have data at their fingertips to get their jobs done. That that data creates a level of fairness. It creates great efficiency in the market. And then I think actually what that does is it opens up the door for more, more creativity, right? If everybody's working off the same data and underwriting deals the same fundamental way using that data, the people who really win are the people who then take the more creative approach in going beyond just what the data says and finding new ways to look at opportunities. And so, you know, we're hoping to sort of bring that world to the forefront, create transparency in the data, um, and, um, and, you know, there are all sorts of interesting things that can happen from that, right? I mean, obviously, if you have every piece of data at your fingertips, then then maybe all you know major commercial real estate assets will be traded the same way that stocks are traded on the New York Stock Exchange, right? Because if you've got standardized, normalized, clean, transparent data, why not? Um, so that's just one kind of sort of end result that could happen from it. Not, not something we're looking to get into anytime soon or ourselves, but I think that it's a byproduct. So you said earlier in the conversation, office and retail are really your uh, your big niches right now. Is your next move more geographic uh, into other markets? Is it into other property types? You know, how do you see uh, kind of your next big twists and turns coming sure. as you roll out new products? So on the leasing side, we cover office, industrial, and retail. Um, so those are our three major kind of food groups. Um, and for sales comp data, we track everything but single family homes. Um, and our analytics layer kind of sits on top of all that. Um, we are adding, not to give away too much, we are adding a major um, asset class, um, which relates to the, to the major partnership that I, that I mentioned that we're gonna be announcing soon. So we're gonna be expanding into a new asset class, which we're very excited about. Um, and that should you know, grow our, you know, our database and grow our, our member base and the clients. All right, well, with that, we'll close. This special podcast. Thanks to our guest, Michael Mandel. Thanks to our producer, Keegan St. Angemay. Join us later this week as we look at what's happened during the week and how it may be impacting you. If you have a question, send us an email at podcast at trep.com. 
Visit TREP.com for more info and subscribe to the TREPWIRE podcast with your favorite provider. Thank you for listening and stay well. All right.